1487, Henry had seen off the threat of a Yorkist pretender to the English throne. Except that, as we know, Lambert Simnel had no royal blood in his veins because he was an imposter. Henry must have thought, phew, got away with that one, an imposter. That's pretty unusual, just as well they don't come along very often. But of course, rather like infrequent buses, there's always that one in a million chance that two will come along in quick succession. And sure enough, by the autumn of 1491, another imposter did arrive. And once again, he popped up in Ireland, which clearly must still have seemed to be a strong Yorkist base. I am, of course, referring to a chap called Perkin Warbeck, who appeared in County Cork sometime in October or November 1491, posing as the younger of Edward IV's sons, Richard, Duke of York, one of the so-called princes in the Tower. Like his elder brother Edward V, Richard was assumed to be dead, though no one could actually confirm that, at least as far as we know. Where then did this Perkin Warbeck come from? There is some evidence that he was employed by Sir Edward Brampton, a Yorkist lately pardoned by Henry VII. Brampton is one of the most colourful and bizarre characters of the whole period. His story is well worth exploring for its own sake. Brampton appears to have picked up the teenage Perkin Warbeck in the Netherlands, and one suggestion is that he was used as a sort of male model, since his master was involved in the cloth trade. Anyway, Brampton knew the Yorkist kings pretty well, and most likely shared a thousand anecdotes about them. Was it he who first put the idea in young Perkin's head? Did he say one day, my goodness, you're the spitting image of Richard, Duke of York? We'll never know. But we do know that by the age of 17, Warbeck arrived in Cork on a Breton silk merchant's ship. That was appropriate since he was the son of a boatman, originally from Tournai in Flanders. Anyway, after his arrival in Cork, we are told that the leading citizens of the town were so struck by the youth's royal bearing, they suggested he might be the Earl of Warwick. Well, no one was falling for that old chestnut. So the smart money went instead on the idea that he was Richard, Duke of York. You suspect that someone of note had to be the instigator of the deception. But however unlikely it seems now, a new pretender was born and gradually seemed to grow into the role. Because he was older than Simnel, he clearly presented a more plausible alternative king, though his story was one of a rather naive man being used for the purposes of several European rulers. In Ireland, he received some early support from one of the Anglo-Irish lords, the Earl of Desmond, and perhaps the Earl of Kildare was interested too, though he later denied it. Overall, the Irish lords gave Warbeck only lukewarm support. Perhaps it was a case of once bitten, twice shy. So by early 1492, Warbeck was looking for support elsewhere, notably James IV of Scotland. Soon, though, he received an invitation from the French king, Charles VIII, who received him in 1492 as a royal prince. Did Charles VIII actually believe that Perkin was the long-lost Duke of York? Well, I suspect that the French king didn't really care either way. What he wanted to do was put pressure on Henry VII. 
In October 1492, Henry finally made good on his commitment to assist Anne of Brittany against France. Too late, since Brittany had already capitulated. His invasion of France in October 1492 was massive. Thousands of men and hundreds of ships sailed to Boulogne under the command of the Earl of Oxford. Bear in mind that war with France was pretty much expected of every new English king. And though Henry was not exactly a warrior king, making a genuine show of force against France boosted his image. But it was also very expensive. And when Henry withdrew his forces a month later, having exacted payment from Charles VIII to do so, there was a sense of anticlimax, very similar to that felt when Edward IV's invasion ended in similar fashion in 1475. Henry proceeded to make a treaty with France in November 1492, the Treaty of Etape, by which Charles and Henry agreed, amongst other things, not to support each other's enemies. Warbeck was therefore obliged to leave France and turn up in neighbouring Flanders, part of the Duchy of Burgundy, where the Duchess, Edward IV's sister Margaret, accepted him as her nephew. The chances are that she had actually seen Prince Richard on her last visit to England in 1480, when he must have been about seven years old. But it's surely doubtful that she would have seen a great deal of the boy. And I know myself, from decades of teaching adolescence, that by 18, a boy's appearance can change so radically as to be almost unrecognisable from the seven-year-old he once was. Whether Margaret was genuinely taken in or not, we'll never know. But she did school Perkin about young Richard's childhood, and obviously give him much other family background. Margaret was not the ruler of Burgundy, but she had been close to her stepdaughter Mary, who was. Mary had married Maximilian of Austria, and after Mary's untimely death, Mary's son became Philip IV of Burgundy. Because he was still young, his father, Maximilian, fast becoming a major player in European diplomacy, directed Burgundian affairs. Like the French king, Maximilian was interested to see how useful Warbeck might be. Maximilian, who hoped to create an alliance of powers to limit French expansion, was incensed that Henry had made peace so easily with France. Perhaps if Henry was not willing to join the coalition against France, then a new ruler might be. Up to now, although Henry was obviously aware of the existence of this young man, claiming to be his brother-in-law, he had no idea who he actually was. Word of the apparent survival of Richard Duke of York spread like wildfire. Men who had committed to Henry's cause in the belief that the sons of Edward IV were dead, now found themselves rather conflicted. If this man truly was the heir of Edward IV, then he was clearly in their eyes the rightful king. For Henry, Warbeck was much more difficult to counter than Simnel. For he could not parade the dead Richard Duke of York, nor could he provide certain confirmation of Richard's death. Did he even begin to wonder if Warbeck was for real? But in July 1493, the king's spies determined who Perkin Warbeck actually was. Henry was so incensed by the fact that Margaret of Burgundy had recognised Warbeck as her nephew that he broke off all trade with Flanders, which was a bold step, 
since it was a very important area of English trade. In November 1493, Perkin met Maximilian, who received him as the rightful King of England, and by the summer of 1494 he was in Flanders sporting a white rose and the coat of arms of Richard IV. Meanwhile he was trying to spread his influence even more widely, and wrote to other monarchs to seek their support, such as Isabella of Castile. Despite Henry's best diplomatic efforts, he was finding it hard to shake the belief that the heir to Edward IV existed. It was very difficult for Henry to get to grips with the pretender as long as he was under the protection of a foreign power. But what he could do, at least, was try to make it difficult for Warbeck to gain any support within his kingdom. His initial response to Warbeck's appearance in Ireland had been to dispatch a small force to drive the pretender out. And by June 1492, the Earl of Kildare had been removed from the office of royal deputy in Ireland. But Ireland remained a real concern, and by late 1494, when Warbeck appeared more of a threat, Henry committed to effecting genuine change in Ireland. He sent Sir Edward Poynings with about 700 men, but it was not exactly a quick fix, and Poynings did not leave Ireland until a year later, in December 1495, by which time Ireland was no longer a viable base for Yorkist invasion. Henry's spies were also hard at work trying to winkle out Warbeck's sympathisers within England. Many were suspected and watched closely in an atmosphere reminiscent of Richard's last year in power. Some plotters were pinpointed and later attainted in the Parliament of 1495. By far the most significant plotter was Sir William Stanley. I'm sure you've not forgotten him. Henry's own Chamberlain and the man who more than any other had intervened at Bosworth to save Henry's life and cause. Perhaps it is not surprising that a man who had been so committed to the Yorkist cause in the past, and who felt that he had never been sufficiently rewarded by Henry, might start to consider alternatives. His contact with Perkin Warbeck began in March 1493, when he sent a representative to meet him in Flanders. As it turned out, his representative, Sir Robert Clifford, was either a royal agent from the outset or soon decided to become one. And it was his evidence which condemned Stanley, and the demise of Stanley early in 1495 effectively killed off the plot. The advantage Henry had over his predecessor Richard was that he had two healthy male heirs in Princes Arthur and Henry. In November, he made great show of this by parading his three-year-old second son through London before bestowing upon him on the 1st of November the Dukedom of York. In a flurry of ceremony, he was telling the world that here was the true Duke of York, his son Henry. Did it make much difference to what ordinary folk believed? Who knows? But we should say that support for Warbeck within England was never more than lukewarm. Thus, even when Warbeck landed in Kent to raise his standard in July 1495, with a little support from Margaret and Maximilian, the escapade was an abject failure. Even the folk of Kent, where many a rebellion had found some support, were unwilling to risk all for Perkin Warbeck. The inexperienced Warbeck panicked, deserted those few who had turned up for him, and fled to Ireland again. But, as we know, Edward Poynings was still there, 
and thus Warbeck found no support there. A desperate man now, Warbeck travelled to Scotland, where he met with James IV in November 1495. For King James, like all the other monarchs, Warbeck was a very useful bargaining chip in his relations with Henry VII. Did James ever believe that he had the real Richard IV in Scotland? Possibly for a while he convinced himself. After all, let's not forget that Margaret of Burgundy had already accepted Warbeck, and surely she was better placed than most to know. The situation within Scotland was far from stable, and young James IV had been crowned only after a virtual civil war with his father, James III, who had been well disposed towards Henry VII. Many leading Scots now favoured a more hostile relationship with England. So James IV had to tread carefully if he was to retain Scottish support. Giving aid to a Yorkist rebel seemed like a good plan to rally the Scots. Thus James IV accepted Warbeck as the real Richard Duke of York and even arranged a favourable marriage for him to a royal relative. For Henry VII, having Perkin Warbeck in Flanders was one thing, but having him just across the border in Scotland was quite another. Warbeck presented a much more credible threat, since he was so close to possible lingering Yorkist support in the north. And all the while, there was an international element to this whole issue. Several European powers were attempting to balance the growing power of France by establishing an alliance against it. Maximilian and the Spanish monarchs, Ferdinand and Isabella, were keen to get England on board. A marriage alliance had already been proposed between Henry's eldest son and heir, Arthur, and Catherine of Aragon, daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella. But, you might ask, how does all that tie in to Perkin Warbeck's activities in Scotland? Well, the Spanish monarchs were worried that Henry Tudor's regime was under threat, and the last thing they wanted to do was marry their daughter off to a king who was shortly to lose his throne. The genuine threat posed by Warbeck in Scotland, as it happened a long-time ally of France, undermined Henry's negotiating position. Thus, all the major powers were watching to see how Henry would handle the impending crisis. By September 1496, the diplomats were working overtime because several actions were in play. Firstly, as I've said, there were the negotiations for the Spanish marriage, but there was another marriage proposal being considered at the same time, for a marriage between James IV of Scotland and Henry of England's daughter, Margaret. But even while those negotiations with Scotland were going on, James was preparing to launch an invasion across the border to support Perkin Warbeck in his bid for the English throne, and Henry was preparing to counter it. Confused? Well, basically, James IV has two irons in the fire. If the Warbeck invasion comes to nothing, he can revert to a policy of peace and rapprochement with England by proceeding with the marriage. In September 1496, the Scots, bolstered by a small contingent from Margaret of Burgundy, crossed the border under the banner of Richard IV of England. To call this an invasion would be a serious breach of the English language, for in essence it was little more than a border raid. A couple of towers were captured, land was laid waste, 
and, having penetrated less than five miles into England, the Scots withdrew. It was a disaster for Warbeck, but a welcome relief for Henry. On the 1st of October, 1496, on the back of the Scottish defeat, the Spanish marriage between Arthur and Catherine was agreed. However, Henry could not assume that the threat from Warbeck was over. Warbeck was still at large and nominally supported by Scotland and Burgundy, so there was no guarantee that he would not try again. As a result, Henry demanded high taxation from his Parliament in January 1497 to finance the military effort in the north. In the months that followed, in the first half of 1497, no further attacks came from Warbeck. But serious trouble of a different sort was heading Henry's way from an entirely opposite direction. <laughs>